Christmas is all about lights. It's about lights. As we enter the Christmas season, we see lights all around us. We see them on Christmas trees, houses decked out with lights, lights on broadcast towers, on water towers, lights on downtown office buildings and on the trees on Main Street. We see lights all over the place. It's a character quality of Christmas. And I don't know about you, I love lights. They add color and charm and atmosphere to a season where the sun sets too early and rises too late. I realized today I looked at the sunrise and the sunset, it's exactly nine hours. We need lights. We need lights. The lights of Christmas make a statement of celebration. A celebration of the coming of the light. The light. All throughout history, light has been set against darkness, good versus evil. And today we're going to talk about light. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that predicted the coming of the light. And I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 9. It'll be on the projection as well. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. As we look at the prediction of the coming of the light. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy and they rejoice before you. As people rejoice in the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We're going to start by looking at the problem, the picture of the problem, which is darkness. Picture of the problem, which is darkness. This book of Isaiah, this passage was written about a nation that was going to be in darkness for about 400 years. They had not heard the voice of God for 400 years. There was not a prophet. There was no one that had said anything. And they said, at the end of this time, a light's going to come. There was a lot of darkness. People in darkness, walking in darkness, are those who live in a dark land. Now, I don't know if you can identify with darkness. We don't, we don't see total darkness very often in Eau Claire. Uh, some of you live out far enough in the country that you probably experience it. I remember 
one of the first times I experienced total darkness, I was working at a camp in upstate New York, and we didn't have cell phones back then. We had to bring flashlights at night, and they had no lights. It was a dark night, and I remember the sun went down. I was at the office, and I had to find my way to where the dorms were, and it was pitch, I mean, literally pitch black. I was walking along, creeping along, really, on a gravel path, and I ran into trees, literally everything. I could see nothing. I mean, it's, it was a, it was a elucidating experience about what true darkness is like. Isaiah is writing about a people in total darkness. Now, they're not, he's not talking about physical darkness. They're people that cannot see. They're bumping into things. No sense of direction. And as you know, everything is more magnified when you're in the dark. This was not a literal physical darkness, but a spiritual darkness. And spiritual darkness, as we look at, at our world today, spiritual darkness comes in many, many different forms. First, there's the darkness of evil. The darkness of evil, where, the, where evil is pervasive, we find an awful darkness, evil. How many of you have seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Good. If you haven't seen it, find it, watch it. It's a great movie. James Stewart, playing the main character, wished that he had never been born. Now, I don't know how many of you ever, ever felt that way. Probably all of us at some point. I wish I'd have never been born. But he had this feeling. And, and as it can happen only in the movies, he's transported through time into Bedford Falls, his hometown, showing what the town would have been like had he never been born, had, never having had the chance to make a positive difference as light in that community. And the contrast is remarkable. The evil, the lawlessness, the darkness that was there in that town. Well, the darkness of evil is pervasive in our world. We don't have to go very far to see the darkness of evil, whether it's immorality, pornography, child abuse, greed, exploitation of women, children, young boys and girls, and sex trafficking. It's a dark dark world out there, and we desperately need light. So one of those darknesses is evil. We see it all around us. Then there's a darkness of fear. If we don't know or believe that we have a benevolent God who cares for us, who watches out for us, we tend to live in fear that we're on our own. And as long as we look at the circumstances and all the things around us, we can tend to focus on those things, and we develop fear. We experience fears in all shapes and sizes. Fear of flying, afraid to travel, afraid to have or rear children because we fear for our children's safety. Maybe you're afraid to invest our money because we might lose it. The phone rings and you jump, a fear that it might bring bad news. And the media feeds our fears because 95%, at least, 95% of news is bad news. Okay, that's why I say... Don't watch, don't watch the news. Look for good things. We stay informed, but don't get preoccupied. So we live in fear. They lived in fear then. It's a, it's a darkness. Then there's a, the darkness of ignorance. Living in ignorance. We have so many philosophies and ideas of what truth is. And we're talking out of the sciences, speaking the truth in love. Why do we need the truth? We can speak the truth without love. And some people do speak the truth without love. But we cannot truly love without speaking truth. And when people live in ignorance 
spiritually especially we need to help them we have a spiritual disease that is spread through ignorance called sin and even though the effects are devastating destroying families leaving broken lives in its wake no one seems to be willing to actually speak the truth many here have been victims of the ignorance of sin darkness there's a darkness of dissatisfaction dissatisfaction there's an article appeared in, in U.S. News not long ago, Pursuing Happiness by the Numbers. And what they did is a statistical analysis of, of how people felt, how they, their sense of well-being. And they went back 100 years, and they looked at what it was like back then and what it's like today. And there were so many things that were much, much better, but unfortunately, even the, the suicide rate was higher sense of dissatisfaction was higher people just seemed to have this sense of dissatisfaction even though we have a life that's much easier much materially richer but it was dissatisfaction and some people live in a sense of dissatisfaction of course a lot of dissatisfaction is based on comparison which results in coveting I compare I compete and I covet Dissatisfaction permeates our culture, and it's fed, of course, by advertising. Then there's the darkness of addiction. He who commits sin is a slave to sin. Whether it's alcohol, drugs, tobacco, pornography, it's a loss of personal control in affections. In affections. People are enslaved in the darkness of addictions. And then there's a the darkness of violence. We don't have to look very far to see violence. Wars, violence, shootings, ethnic cleansing the violence of darkness. All of the darkness that we experience today, and we can name a lot of different ones, even during the Christmas season, the season of lights, love and cheer, people experienced that in the past. And into this darkness, Isaiah gives a promise. He has a promise of light, the gift of light. This dark, depressing, cold, cheerless world comes light. It's amazing what light can do. When you enter a room, you never turn on the dark switch. You turn on the light switch. And it's transformative because all of a sudden, you can see. So those are the predicaments we're in. Let's look at the person of promise, the person. Verse 6a says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The whole beginning of our journey in Christianity begins with this season, the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. Incredible mystery. It says a child is born to us. To us. And a mystery. We call it the incarnation. God taking human form. God becoming one of us. Now, most of us grew up with this and we think we learned all about Jesus this whole time. You Just imagining for the Jewish people the concept of God becoming one of them. God coming down in human form. Absolutely ought to blow our mind. That's what God did. He came as a child to us. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light. That life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The message says it this way. God moved into our neighborhood. He became one of us. A revolutionary principle back then and today. There was a song written by Joan Osborne, a pop song, entitled One of Us, One of Us. Not a Christian song, but she asked the question, is God, or could he become one of us? She writes, if God had a name, what would it be? And would, would you call it to his face? What would you ask if he had just one question? What, what if God were one of us? If God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see? If seeing meant that you would have to believe in things like heaven and Jesus and saints and the prophets. What if God was one of us? A question that some people long to have an answer to. And God was, is one of us. He came in human form. He was one of us. The word, Jesus, the light shining in darkness. And Christmas is about this child being born, born of God, this light entering the human race so we could get a glimpse of what God was like and begin to understand who God is. A child born to us. Secondly, it's a son given to us. A child born and a son given. The, the word given is a foreshadowing of the light as a gift, as a gift. Whenever we give a gift, it requires some kind of a cost. The giver pays the cost, not the recipient. When you receive a gift, somebody paid for that, purchased it, and they gave it to you. We don't do anything to deserve those gifts. They're given to us. Someone else paid the price. God gave us this gift. It didn't cost us anything. It came at great cost to sacrifice. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. That giving was a gift in total. Jesus gave his life. A son given for us. Jesus gave his life for us. Christmas is about a child born. It's also about a son who gave his life. See, Christmas isn't just about the manger. It's about the cross. The cross. And both phrases end with the words to us. To us. We, we tend to think of in global or abstract terms that Jesus came for the whole world. And he did. But he also came for you. Came for you. Personalize it. He came for you. This light gift is for everybody, but he also offered it to individuals meant to receive personally. It's a personal relationship. Now, we, we, we think in terms of personal or relationship as, as when we say my dad or my mom or my daughter, my son, my whatever. We tend to think of, of my, not in ownership, but in sense of relationship. And here it is, my God, my Savior. Jesus is my God, not in ownership or control, but in relationship. This child is born 
for you. The son is born, given as a gift for you. It's a personal relationship. Some people spend their entire life religious, but never realizing that this relationship is to be in, embraced as a personal relationship with God through Jesus. It's a gift offered to everyone, but it's for you too. For you too. The child is born. The son is given. Then the next phrase, it says the child rules. The child rules. It says the government will be on his shoulders. Now, what does that mean? What does that prediction entail? Jesus came the first time, and he actually set up his kingdom, his kingship, or his rule on earth. Um, when we read about Jesus in the New Testament, we find that Jesus was accused of using demonic powers to perform miracles and cast out demons. And one key passage is found in Matthew 12. And Jesus said this to the, to the people who were questioning that. It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But, he says, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. This passage first speaks about this cosmic battle of good versus evil, light versus darkness, God versus Satan. And God made it, Jesus made it exceedingly clear that Satan was a real being. We, we spent four Sundays in the fall talking about the reality of spiritual warfare. There's, a, there's somebody that's seeking to destroy us and devour us. It's Satan. And when Jesus came, the kingdom of God broke into the kingdom of Satan. And now Jesus released his power to make war on this planet Earth with Satan himself. The kingdom or rule that Jesus brought was in the spiritual realm, wasn't in the political or human realm. Jesus, Jesus' kingdom, when he says the kingdom of God has come upon you, the locus or the location of that rule is in the minds and hearts of human beings. His kingdom is in our lives. He wants to rule and reign in our lives, first of all. Now, the results of that, that's not where it stops. That's the beginning. The results work their way out in the human, earthly, and governmental realm. That's why we need to be engaged in our world, whether it's politics, governments, civic responsibility, and education. Because how else are we to influence our world? But the starting point is the human heart the spiritual. But it has to move beyond the spiritual, the heart, to make a practical moral difference in our culture. And this prophecy says the government will be or will rest on his shoulders. It means it will be placed or imposed as a burden of responsibility on his shoulders. We, we're not to carry the responsibility. Jesus carries the responsibility. It's not our government or president or Congress or Supreme Court. It says the government will rest on his shoulders, which means God is sovereign. God is in control. God is boss. Now, I take tremendous comfort in that, especially with the craziness we're in right now. You know, 
if we went around the room today and I said, what's your biggest concern in, in your community? What's the biggest concern in the state, in our nation, in the world, whatever? There are so many things that are way out of whack and seemingly out of control. It's not up to you, okay? It's up to God. God's in control. That doesn't mean we're not engaged in the process, but we can't carry that. We were not made or created to carry these burdens. God, he says, the government will be on his shoulders. Sometimes we just need to let go and say, okay, okay, God, I'll let you manage the world today. Sometimes we need to just let go and say, God, it's up to you. God's in control. So a child is born, there's a son given, the child rules. In other words, he is sovereign. And then it gives some character and names of this child, Jesus. It says, and he will be called, or his name will be called, which means his essential characteristics will be, or this is what he will do. Names or characteristics of this child, Jesus, are inseparable from who he is. What are his names or his character? Who is this and what will he do? There are five expressions that we find in here. First one is wonderful, which means someone who evokes wonder or supernatural phenomenon. The word wonderful really is that which expresses the unbelievable, the immeasurable nature of everything that God is. It evokes awe. It evokes awe. Now, I just... I just I, once in a while, as I, as I read, I discover different things about nature. And if you ever want to know a lot about nature and the universe, go on discovery.com or whatever. But one thing I just, I just heard yesterday and read was that, do you know why the birds start chirping before dawn? Do you know why they start chirping before dawn? Because there's a frequency in their chirping that has an impact on plant life that opens up certain things and makes them ready for the sunlight and grow. Do you know that? I thought they just annoyed me. You know, hearing you say, oh, those chirping birds, man, they're so noisy. Well, you know, I never heard that before. That evokes wonder. God did that. God does those things. You look at the universe, the mo more incredible things that we see about God evokes wonder and awe. It says his name will be wonderful. He is wonderful. He evokes awe. And we ought to be in awe. When we sing about, about and worship God in worship time, we're not just singing about him. We're singing to him and engaging with the living God. We're not just coming together to have religious exercise. We're here to actually connect with this God and stand in awe, in awe of who this God is. Ah, he's wonderful. The second word is counselor. has to do with wisdom and discernment. Proverbs 3.19 says, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the deeps were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. Wisdom. With our world in crisis, we desperately need wisdom. All the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put the world back together again. But God can. God can. And we know, you know, we look at all the implications of one world government and all the things they're trying to do to control, and we know that someday, we don't know when, someday 
there is going to be a one world government led by Antichrist and the beast and all that other stuff. You look at that in Revelation. We have hints about what's going to happen. Um, you don't have to worry about that. I mean, if, if that's where we're at, we're going to be raptured sooner or later. But, but basically, this is something that God has in control. And he has wisdom to understand how to navigate this. And I think we ought to stay informed and know what's going on. But don't try to carry it. Because the wisdom of God, God is in control. And God is wise enough to handle it. He has wisdom. God set up this world. He knows how it best should operate. That's why when he gives us guidelines, whether it's designed for marriage or or right and wrong and those kinds of things, we follow his word because he has wisdom. Wisdom for our nation, also for our personal lives. Dealing with all kinds of things. Jesus brings supernatural wisdom. Light. That's light for dark times. Number three is mighty God. Basically, this name attributes deity or divinity to this child born. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. And the term mighty God or hero means God our warrior, God who fights for us. What is your battle today? What, what's your biggest obstacle or battle today? It's going to be different for everybody. Just think about it for a minute. What's the biggest challenge you're facing? What's the biggest battle? It can be relational, it can be financial, it can be health, it can be any number of things. The mighty warrior is there to fight it on your behalf. You need need to give it to him and say, God, you fight this. You take it. Mighty warrior. That's who Jesus is. The word called him, mighty warrior. It's God's job. Mighty God. Then eternal father. Here's a child. He had a father. Eternal means someone who inhabits eternity. There's no beginning, no end. Always has been. And then father means leader, provider, giver of love. Someone who nurtures and gives guidance and discipline. Now, some of you here this morning have a very positive image of a father. Some of you maybe not so much, depending on your experience. But God Our eternal Father is a God of perfect love and perfect provision. He's your Father. Your Father. Accept it. Trust it. Believe it. Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. That's our candle today. Peace. Jesus is our peace and we need it. In the kingdom of God... This peace supersedes and transcends all circumstances and even present dimensions. Peace in Hebrew implies prosperity as well as tranquility. We, we think of peace as just absence of conflict, just leave me alone, I'll have peace. Peace, this context of peace is much greater than that. It's well-being, it's wholeness. It's in wholeness and right relationship with all our circumstances, all our people, everything around us. So when it says peace, the prince of peace means he is the giver of that kind of peace. Supernatural. So a child born to us, the son given to us, gives us that peace. That's the light. And it says this kingdom grows. It's going to grow. There will be no end to the increase of his government and his peace. 
What does that mean? It means light will always get rid of darkness and it will continue to grow, multiply, and continue through all eternity. That's the power of light. Let's look briefly at just some very practical ways that light replaces darkness. Let's look at the power of light. This is the power of light in our lives. Roman numeral three, the power of light. What does light accomplish? First of all, light, the light of goodness displaces the darkness of evil. The light of goodness displaces the darkness of evil. Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Secondly, the light of faith dispels the darkness of fear. Faith dispels the darkness of fear. Don't be afraid, just believe, Luke 8, 15, 50 says. And believe is, is not just an abstract sense of I hope for the best. Belief has to have an object. Faith has an object in which we place our trust. And that object of trust, that person, is Jesus. Letter C, the light of truth replaces the darkness of ignorance. Light of truth replaces the darkness of ignorance. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We have so many falsehoods, so much falsehood going around. We need to know the truth. Whether it's about marriage or gender or violence, you just name it, whatever it is. The truth is what sets us free. Letter D, the light of joy removes the darkness of dissatisfaction. Joy removes the darkness of dissatisfaction. We can rise above all those things. And joy is internal. Happiness is based on the word happenstance, which means it'll be good, I'll be happy as long as my circumstances are good. Joy transcends that. It exceeds that. So no matter what circumstance we're in, we can live in joy. It's supernatural. We can't work it up, and you can't just get up in this morning, I'm going to be happy today. Or, no, we, we can't work it up. We have to depend on the giver of joy for this to happen. Letter E, the light of freedom supplants the darkness of bondage. The light of freedom supplants the darkness of bondage. Whether it's addictions, loss of control, being set free, being set free. And letter F, the light of peace displaces the darkness of violence. The light of peace displaces the darkness of violence. End of violence. Now, the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah, as we look at it, will come someday in the future. We're not experiencing all of it right now. But in the meantime, we can experience much of its fulfillment as we embrace the light and allow the light of Jesus to dispel the darkness. The problem is darkness. The promise is the person of Jesus. The power is light actually removes darkness. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, you are the light of the world. He personalizes it, puts it in our court. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The light gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave this promise many, many years before you came. 
We've seen the fulfillment, and we need to again embrace the fulfillment of this promise. And I pray, God, that we would live in light, that, God, you would pour out your light on us, and that we would embrace all aspects of this gift of light that you sent. We desperately need your power. We desperately need your, your light. And I just pray, Lord, today that you would help us to live in this light in Jesus' name.